The Daisy Chain podcast is proudly supported by Personal Farewells, proudly family-owned and operated independent funeral directors located in Sydney. My name is Emma. I own the Daisy Chain and run music and movement programs for aged care and disability facilities. I'm going to share how to find fun, purpose and connection in that stage of life that others think is boring, dull and pointless. If you would like to know how we shine a light on the fun, vibrant, full lifestyles of the aged care residents and disability clients, stay with me as I share the stories of human connection. Good morning. This is Emma from the Daisy Chain podcast. I'm here with Stephanie Kelly from Personal Farewells. Steph is the owner and operator of Personal Personal Farewells, who are independent funeral services. Thank you for joining me, Steph. Thanks, Emma. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Finally, it stopped raining. So it's yes. Everyone seems a little happier today. <laughs> See the sun. It's a nice change. I know. Isn't it's it? beautiful. Um, so, we're going to talk today about a subject that people tend to avoid talking about. Um, and we're going to delve a little more into that. Um, and the, basically, the topic of our chat today is talking about death won't kill you, uh, which I think is a great way to, to talk about that subject. Um, just before we get into that topic, are you able to give me a little bit of your background, you know, where you're from, a little bit of personal information? Yeah, of course. Um, so, Emma, I am located in the Sutherland Shire. I'm a mum of two young girls. And how did I get into this industry is a question that I actually get asked all the time, um, especially as I am um, a younger person and predominantly the industry um, is renowned for having um, mature persons in, in, the, in the roles. And I feel that with my customer service background that I've had since leaving school um, and having a great interest in helping people, um, supporting people in various roles throughout my life, um, I kind of just fell into into this industry. Um, Having lost um, a grandparent and being involved in that process really opened my eyes to uh, what the funeral industry was all about. And I saw lots of gaps. I saw areas that um, many people can be taken for granted for um, during this time of need. And in particular, the financial component, which some people just uh, regard as it's a given, it's a funeral service, it costs lots of money, um, but that's actually not the case. And when we started up just over five years ago, um, there wasn't much transparency in regards to pricing. Um, And this is one factor along with our customer service elements that we're really proud to um, support families with along the way, is that we had transparent pricing. Um, And that was our online um, funeral planner with instant quote. And and since that actually came about, Fair Trading has actually stepped in and and told all funeral directors that they should be having um, um, transparent pricing on their websites instead of having to make that phone call, which can be really daunting for a family, especially during that time of need. So that's who we are and that's how I got to where we are. Yeah. Wow, that's a great change to to be implemented from, you know, a step that you took because you felt that was the right thing to do. So, yeah, congratulations for that. I love how we've kind of connected um, and our, our, you know, our motivation for doing what we do is actually quite similar, being that, you know, it's kind of our experience with a grandparent 
in our particular field that kind of was what pushed us towards what we do initially. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I love it when you, you connect with people that you didn't know before and there's all these kind of similarities that pop up. So um, we're very excited to work with you as well. So we're going to talk about, um, well, as I said, the topic is talking about death won't kill you. Um, I guess that is a common a common thing in a lot of our podcast interviews are we're talking about the things that people don't want to talk about, don't feel comfortable talking about, uh, but they're actually the things that we need to be talking about and will actually bring about change. Um, and look, there's obviously there's reasons that people don't like to talk about death. It's a very sensitive subject, um, but it's something that we are all going to experience personally um, and we're all going to you know lose people along the journey of our lives. So I guess I'm not going to ask you specific questions to start with. They'll, they'll probably pop up as we go, but why, what is it about talking about death that, that people avoid? I think it's the unknown. Um, I feel as humans, we like to be in control of our lives. I think that's quite a, a normal human reaction. Um, and I feel that we don't really know what happens after death. Um, people with religious um, beliefs may have, you know, certain understandings of what they feel may happen next, but essentially it is unknown. And I think that, that scares people. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's similar to, you know, talking about dementia or um, talking about the, the loss of a, a baby or, you know, having miscarriage. It's those, you know, those subjects that just get avoided um, and then they become, they almost become, they snowball because they become bigger um, and then it's even harder to, to talk about. So um, have you got some tips on how we talk about death, whether that's, I mean, I guess you've got young children, I've got children, we lost a family member a couple of years ago. Are there some tips that you can share on, you know, how to talk about death, whether it's with children or whether it's with adults? Yeah, that's a good question, Emma. So with regards to adults, um, the way that I, it's kind of thinking big picture and looking at maybe world events or things that are happening at the moment. So, for example, we've all experienced um, the COVID that's happened to everyone over the last two years. This has really been an eye-opener for everyone about um, illness and looking after each other and things like that. I feel that everyday events could almost prompt us into having this conversation. So, for example, um, we hear that people are getting unwell with an illness that could then prompt a question about if that happened to me what would happen next you know what would my wishes be you know would it be cremation would it be burial do I want to be an organ donor so I guess thinking about what's happening in your life maybe a loved one has recently passed away um, or someone is is terminal with an illness um, I guess it's during those times that we do start to question our mortality and and really wonder you know what is it that I want or what is it that my family's wishes might be for me. Maybe there's something in particular that they would like to, to share and having that discussion and opening that conversation is what's so important. Yeah. How about with children? Is it the same? Look, I feel it's a little bit different for my children, um, having, <laughs> having grown up with, um, with mum being a funeral director. So we are a little bit open about, you know, 
where are we going? We're going to the office. Are you dropping off ashes today, mum? So, you know, little things like that with my kids might be a little bit more open than, than the average family. Um, but I think it's, it's important to be mindful of the terminology that you're using with children. So, for example, you know, if grandma has passed and you say that she's gone to sleep forever, that can be hard for children to understand because they may think that if I go to sleep or if they go to sleep, they may go to sleep forever as well. Yeah. So it's really thinking about the right words um, and explaining it in an age-appropriate manner. Um, you know, if you're talking to a five-year-old as opposed to a 12-year-old, you know, you're thinking about what the potential repercussions of that conversation are so that they also don't become afraid of what happens next. Yeah. And and that's true. I've been into aged care facilities where, you know, I know the names of the residents and I've said, you know, where's Joan? And they were, one of the staff would go, oh, Joan's gone. And I'm like, where's she gone? Gone, like gone, gone? Or, oh no, she's gone out for lunch with her family. And it's like, <laughs> okay. But then there'll be other occasions where it's, you know, where's, where's June and she's gone. And I'll be like, where? And they're like, oh no, she passed away last night. I'm like, let's yep. just say it as that initially. Um, because it's then you kind of go into no man's land and you're confused and you actually don't you don't know the right response. Um, and true. and my yeah, my family the same as yours. You know, I'll, I'll come home and the girls will go, "How was today?" And I'll go, "Actually, it was you know, it's quite sad because um, this particular lady has passed away or this gentleman has passed away." So yeah, I think our our children get a slightly different perspective than, yeah. than a lot of others might. But I'm grateful for that because I think it's a really important of part of learning and growing for kids. Yes, yes, exactly right. There's lots of stigma attached to, to words, death, dying, um, those uh, those terms. Um, yeah. We generally say past or lost or gone and, and things like that. And, and I actually have a very similar example. The other day um, I was talking about a, a staff member who had recently moved to another role and I, and I said something along the lines of we lost her to you know another company or something and and the person I was to, talking to almost fell over thinking that she'd she'd gone she'd passed yes. away died um just because it was me that they were talking to <laughs> so it can it can certainly get misinterpreted if you're you yeah. know using it in the wrong context yeah. yeah so when it comes to um to planning a funeral is there advice? I, I, I have a funny story about my nan. Um, <laughs> well, I think I told you this. There was a scheme in England, this is years ago, where you could go and prepay your funeral and you got stamps um, because there was no computer records at the time. Um, yes, yes. You got stamps on a, on a chart and, you know, when you made your first payment, you got a free microwave and, and all these kind of incentives <laughs> for people to be proactive. Um, and I remember <laughs> my mum calling me and saying, my nan had been up to the co-op to pay her last payment for her prepaid funeral and when she came out, she and, and nothing bad happened, but she got hit by a car. Um, and we, we kind of laughed that, you know, it was ironic that she'd been to make this last payment. Um, but she was probably ahead of her time, especially at the time for prepaying and taking that pressure off of her children so that she knew when it was her time that it would all be organised and all be sorted out. Is that something that you think is a good idea or something that we need to try and incorporate more into our society? 
I feel that, you know, step one is really opening the dialogue, to be honest. Um, I feel that we still have a long way to go with talking openly about our wishes because um, sometimes if we talk about it, it may happen. I mean, thankfully, your grandmother was okay, but yeah. there is this, you know, people are concerned that, you know, if I talk about it, um, some sort of karmic thing is going to happen in the universe and it's going to bring this about, which, which certainly isn't the case. Um, it's about kind of just planning ahead, if you will. You know, we plan for many other events in our lives. Um, death is something that will happen to everyone. Um, and I guess ignoring it means that when the time does arise, it's your family that is the ones who are trying to work out what your wishes may have been or what you yep. would have liked when, you know, it doesn't have to be quite as strict as, you know, I would like this colour coffin and this colour flowers and I want to be at this cemetery. It doesn't have to be quite that specific if you don't want. There's some families that have put those types of uh, requests, I guess, in place um, and that makes things easier, I guess, moving forward. But just having a conversation about the type of service, you know, there's these days things are so different. You know, it's not just a choice between the chapel, the local chapel and a church. You know, we have really personalised options at, at clubs and venues and function halls and outside and on the beach and all different types of things that, you know, can be discussed. Um, some need some preparation, some need a bit more forethought and I guess that's what it is, is opening that conversation. Yeah. I was going to, something popped into my brain then was, you know, when you, when you are having something that's a little bit, are uh, less traditional, I guess, which will change over time. And there's certain things that you need to take into account, like, you know, are there council regulations or government requirements of those kind of things? Does that come into play? Yeah, exactly. You know, even things like um, accessibility to a room can be yeah. quite an important factor for us. Um, and there's also some locations that don't, they're just not, Maybe it's just the times we're in at the moment, but they're not able to hold a funeral service for whatever reasons. Maybe it's a particular club and they have certain views on holding a funeral service with a, a casket there. Um, but then you may also wish to consider a memorial service whereby the cremation component takes place first and then the memorial happens at a later time. So this is also something that's becoming a little bit more um, popular, um, especially during COVID times when there were so many restrictions in place regarding attendees. So we've had to, you know, look outside the box and, and you know, some funeral homes have been doing this for many years and places overseas have also been doing funerals differently for many years. So it's about adapting to the current situation, um, looking at the family's requests and just making something as personal as we possibly can to fail that, farewell that loved one. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, we're talking on Zoom um, and we're in the same we're in the same area so we could meet face-to-face -face, and we have. Um, yes. But I, I know of, you know, some some family members of loved ones who their the funerals were held privately and then obviously the, the service was streamed, um, which has streamed. meant that over, people overseas that couldn't actually attend and would never have been able to attend, um, even, you know, in, in normal circumstances outside of COVID, were able to, you know, still pay their respects. So I think although it was a, a really tough situation and a, a hard couple of years that we've gone through, it's yes. actually 
in a in an ironic way, even though we were less disconnect, sorry, less connected, we've actually become more connected as well. Which is interesting. It's made us rethink the way we do things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it just made us rethink everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know at the at the start you spoke about um, you know your background in customer service. Can you give me some examples of how? Uh, how you work and how you operate and how that might be slightly different to to some of the bigger companies where maybe the, the staff are older or have less experience in other areas of life as you, as you do? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Look, um, every funeral home is obviously different and will have its own personal um, components to it. Um, the way I feel that we... we we're a small family-run service. We don't have call centres um, answering calls and taking messages. And it's it, when I say personalised, I mean personalised. So it's me answering the phone. It's me attending the the arrangement, and it, and it is myself and my team that are at the service itself. So it's that continuity of care um, that I feel is so important. So instead of that family member repeating their story many times. I know who they are. I know who their, their family and their siblings and the, the other parent may be. And we're able to connect, I guess, on a different level. Um, and that's what's so important for me is to be able to have that connection with the family from the beginning um, and then all the way through to the end and even after the service yes. occasion. And yeah. that's what most families are so grateful for is that we take that time. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. Uh, and, yeah, I think that that connection is what people really crave anyway, um, but obviously especially at a time that is this challenging. Um, do I'm going to ask you some questions that people probably want to ask but never do because they don't have the opportunity to ask. Um, okay. So, actually, let me ask you first, what question do you get asked most? Obviously, what how you, do I get yeah, asked? Obviously, right? how you got into this, but in a in a situation where you're helping someone plan and organize a funeral, are there yes, the, yes. like those kind of common questions that come up that you wish people kind of knew the answers to already? Yes, um, one question I get off. Uh, sorry, let me start that again. A question that I often get asked is, um, "How do I know that you're only going to cremate my loved one?" one one person at a time and that I work with the ashes of a stranger. Um, and what I can say is that there's very strict regulations in place at crematoriums to ensure that the process is followed to the T. And what that means is legally there's only one, um, one deceased that is to enter the cremator at one time. That cremation process does take quite a number of hours, to be honest with you. Um, and then at the conclusion, that person is that the ashes are processed accordingly, labelled, and um, and that's how we can ensure that there's no, I guess, cross contamination of, yeah. of different ashes. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's a great question to have well. answered. Yeah. yeah, 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 and and like I said, you know, these are the things that people probably want to ask, but but either wait to that situation or don't want to because it's you know it's taboo and it's you know I can't ask that um yeah so I'm just thinking about any others um I'm sure there's lots can you can you tell me um let's actually talk about the process if that's all right and if there's anything that you haven't said before if there's anything you don't want to answer 
you know, that's that's absolutely fine. But say say a loved one passes in hospital, um, at what yes. point do you become involved? Um, so generally the family would have a conversation amongst themselves about what happens next and who they plan to, I guess, make their funeral arrangements with, then the family would make contact with me. Um, so generally it may be just prior to somebody passing, if somebody is does know what's going to happen um, or in other circumstances it might be quite sudden or unexpected and then it may be a couple of days after somebody has died and that's when they will call us and generally ask us you know about our services where we're located how we can help them what our pricing is and I guess if they're feeling comfortable and once they've you know, got the information that they need and can make an informed decision, then we will then make a time to meet with the family and go through the arrangements for the funeral service. Yeah. And then um, is there, is the body then collected from the, the hospital or like what's the next step from there? So it does depend on what the the family is wishing to do. So for a direct cremation, a direct cremation is when there is no funeral service. So if it is a direct cremation only, most contact is made over the phone and via email. And what we would do is we would send a, a form to the family called a transfer authority form. And this allows us as a funeral director to have permission to bring their loved one into our care. Okay, so once that document has been signed, then our transfer team are able to go to the hospital, bring um, the deceased into our mortuary care, and then we would then make the necessary preparations for the next step, which would be for cremation to take place. Um, if, however, it is for a service and maybe a burial or a service and cremation, we would generally meet with the family and go through all the paperwork together. Um, they would sign that document off um, and then we would make arrangements to bring their loved one yep. into our care. Uh, it just makes um, more sense that way to be able to have that connection with them at that yep. point. Yeah. Um, working in aged care, uh, it amazes me how the process of uh, dealing with someone dying is dealt with from facility to facility. Um, yes. And it's it's a conversation that pops up a lot. Um, in some yeah. facilities, the residents will form a guard, like a guard of honour um, and actually farewell their, their friends. Um, but there's other places that I know of that uh, it almost happens under the cover of night and no one knows and it's kind of like the residents are like, you know, where's Peter gone? Um, and it's, it's yeah. not spoken about. Um, do you yes. have any thoughts on that? Yes, there's there's many. Uh, they do vary quite significantly. There's some um, aged care facilities where the family comes in and they spend a couple of hours. They may even bathe their loved one and dress them and do that sort of thing. And then there are other facilities. Maybe they don't have enough staff or, or the equipment required to to do that. I'm not sure, but you know they'll go back into. Um, um, the back area of, of the facility waiting for the transport team basically to, to usher them 
usher them out. Um, which way is right or wrong? There's no answer I can give with that. It's just each facility um, to their own. Um, but I think it is really lovely when they have an opportunity for people to say goodbye to them. Um, just uh, the residents, obviously, they've built a connection themselves with that person. Yeah. And they can say goodbye properly is just, that's lovely. Yeah. 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 I guess it gets challenging when you are obviously dealing with people with things like dementia um, and I, I remember my nan losing a friend and she would forget that her friend had died and then would right. need to be reminded and then it was almost like every time she was told was the first time and she'd have to go through that initial grieving period again. So I guess there's a little bit of that that, you know, comes into play as well as it's like, you know, we can't be explaining to 30 people multiple times um, yes. what's happened. So, you know, and that's, they are the conversations that need to be had because they're, they're relevant and they're an important part of, of the whole process. And, you know, generally people that are going into an aged care facility are going there because it's that stage of their life and that's probably the last place that they're going to live before they die. Um, so it's definitely something that needs to be thought about and I guess asked by families and loved ones when they are choosing where their loved one's going to go is like, actually, what do they want? Do they want the guard of honour? Because they might not, that might not be what they want as a family and as an individual. Um, you know, there might be those people that are like, you know, just take me out the back. Um, and then there'll be the others like me that'll be like, no, I want the whole fanfare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And uh, you know what? It also helps the grieving process of the residents. So even if they are suffering from dementia, then if they say, where did Joan go? You could say, remember, we, we had the, the guard of honour for her. Remember that was the other day. And I know that, you know, every patient will be experiencing dementia in their own degree, I guess, but there will be components that may back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've talked about a couple of the questions that you get asked. That was the, the most common one. Are there any other questions? Another question I get asked is, why do I need a coffin? Um, so particularly for a direct cremation where there's no service, why do I have to pay for a coffin? Um, it's a legitimate question, um, you know, does there are costs involved and if I'm just going straight to the mortuary and straight to the crematorium, what's the purpose of it? And, again, this is actually a New South Wales health requirement where each person does need to be in a coffin uh, for cremation to take place. So they can't be just in a body bag or wrapped yeah, in a, a muslin or anything like yeah. that. They do have to be in a coffin um, and that's a requirement that needs to be followed and adhered to by all crematoriums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's fair enough. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess it is a legitimate question. If if that's a significant cost as well, it would, and, and finances are an issue for people, um, yes. yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, I would never have thought of asking that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more that, you know, they just want the most minimalist option. Yes. So yeah. they just say, I just want you to pick me up and take me to the crematorium. But there is steps in between that are required. Um, one of those steps is going into a coffin. Um, and, you know, some of the other steps do involve additional paperwork that can sometimes be forgotten about, that that's just the processing from our side that, that isn't always needed to be explained in, in, in full detail, I guess, to families. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other questions? 
Um, oh gosh, nothing else that's coming to mind. I'll think about them when I finish. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> that's all right. We'll do another one. Um, <laughs> do do um do you have much uh, interaction with people? Uh, planning and organising their own funerals or memorials or is it generally after the person has died with the family? That's a good question, actually. Um, it is most frequently after somebody has passed. Yeah. Um, however, I do have some families who know that they are unwell, maybe with some form of, of terminal cancer or something like that, and and they've, I guess, come to terms um, with what's happening um, and they're able to have those open conversations. So I have met with some people, either the family members who were doing it on their behalf, or I've even met with some of the some of the persons who are unwell and and those arrangements themselves. It, it is challenging. Um, the way that you sit with the family and discuss the needs changes depending on the situation. So obviously being very mindful of, of how you're wording everything. Um, but they've always been really grateful for the information that's been provided. Um, so they have a better understanding of what happens next. Yeah. Do you think it would make it easier if that was more common? For the families? I do. I do. I feel like when a funeral, when somebody dies, uh, there's generally a time frame anywhere between, you know, three and 10 days that a funeral can take place. And in that time, um, even though a funeral director is there to help and support and guide you through that whole process, there's still a number of, I guess, tasks that a family member still needs to, to do or um, assist with for the funeral to take place. Yeah. And it can be really overwhelming for people. Um, it can be something as simple as organising maybe some photos or some music or meeting with a celebrant to talk about, you know, their loved one's life, putting a eulogy together, um, talking to the family, who's coming, where are we going, who can make it, who can't make it. Are we having live streaming? Are we not having live streaming? There's all these question marks. And, and when somebody dies, sometimes the last thing you want to do is, you start planning an event like this, and it is. It's a type of event that occurs in life. Um, so having some of those question marks, I guess, organised ahead of time, um, that can really alleviate a lot of those responsibilities when somebody passes and you can just be and you can grieve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what sometimes happens is we go on to um, auto um, drive and, you know, you keep doing things and activities and, and meeting me and, you know, dropping off clothing and, and doing all of these tasks and your mind stays so active. So when the funeral comes, you're, it's the day it becomes really overwhelming and you start to slow down and the grief then sets in. Yeah. So it's almost delaying grief until the funeral service, whereas some people who have made those um, smaller preparations in advance can begin the grieving process when yeah. the death actually occurs. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking it, it would be interesting if that process was kind of, you know, <laughs> we plan our wedding, right? We, we grow up thinking yeah. about, you know, my wedding day is going to be X, Y, Z. Men always yes. work out afterwards. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting if, if that was something that we actually spoke about 
you know, maybe not at school, but as part of our education process of, you know, there, there are events throughout your life that you're going to plan for. Um, you know, yes. we think we think my daughter at the moment is doing work experience and thinking about what she actually wants to do with her life. Um, it would be interesting if we talked about dying and, um, you know, funerals and memorials at a much younger age, um, how, how different we would feel about death. Yes. Yes. I feel like obviously our, our wishes and our needs change over time, obviously. Um, but just having, I guess, an understanding of, you know, what does happen and, and not make it quite so taboo. Um, talking about death and dying, because just like growing up, it is part of life, the end of life, if you will. Um, but it is, it also is a way to celebrate life. So instead of it being, I guess, and you know, this will be changed depending on circumstance. So obviously, please being mindful of, you know, an accident or something like that is a very different type of, of scenario to deal with um, or, or death of, of a child or a young person or something like that. Um, what I guess we're talking about today is more um, those who have lived a full life um, and know that, you know, that it may be nearing. I, I actually had a phone call from a gentleman the other day and and his, his mother is 110. So he's been wow. given a call say that, you know, she, she isn't well. Um, and, and 110, I think that is just amazing. Wow. What yeah. Imagine all yeah. the things I've seen in that time. So, you know, he's making his, you know, these plans in advance because he does know that her health is, is starting to deteriorate. Well, I don't imagine he's, he's probably in his seventies or eighties as well. I think <laughs> he's actually in his late eighties to yeah. be honest with you. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's and incredible. Someone who's, yeah. Making some yeah. plans in advance. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had a talking about, you know, it, I guess we, we say that we want it to be a celebration of our life, um, a funeral or a memorial. And, and what you said just now about, you know, obviously we are talking specifically today about, um, you know, death coming at the end of a full life, not of a child or an accident, because I think those, those situations are, are very different to what we're talking about today. Um, but I had uh, a lady who came to one of my retirement village classes and she just loved dancing. And uh, as she was approaching the end of her life and she was palliative, her niece rang me and said, I uh, shouldn't have any children. Her niece called and said, Arnie would really like her Zumba ladies to dance at her funeral. Um, so, you know, and they, they had sat um, and talked a lot about how she wanted the funeral to be, which song she wanted. Um, so I then went to the ladies uh, and, and said, you know, this is what she would has asked for. Um, if you feel comfortable, that would be amazing. If you don't feel comfortable, that's, that's perfectly fine too. Um, and at the end of the service, um, the celebrant kind of called us up and I just explained that this was what she'd asked for um, and that the group of five or six ladies got up and I said, you know, if you feel inclined to clap or or tap your toes or to stand up and dance, that is what she would like. But also, you know, mindful of the fact that if you need to pay your respects by, by not doing that, that it's, you know, that's perfectly fine as well. Um, and <laughs> she, she chose to have great balls of fire as her song that we danced to, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a she's very, very cheeky, 
Um, and and everyone stood up and kind of some dance, some tap the toes, some claps. Um, but you know, on the way leaving the chapel, um, you know, half a dozen people came up to me and said, "That's exactly what that's that's what she would have wanted." So um, it was really nice that she was able to express those wishes and and kind of have that that celebration, albeit a sad one, but be able to celebrate in the way that she wanted. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's so important. It's it's paying respects to that person and keeping that memory alive, mm. you know, yeah. and that's the part of, of grieving that sometimes people um, can forget in the early stages because it's so overwhelming, but keeping that memory alive by talking about, you know, the dancing or talking about her love of music or whatever it yeah. might be, that's yeah. what we need to remember. Yeah. And, and you know, emotions kick in and, and families um, can be particularly volatile in these situations as well. So I think, you know, the, like you said before, you kind of go into autopilot for that 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 period of time initially. Um, and and I think people's personalities tend to to kick in and be exaggerated as well. So if you've got someone that is the organizer, um, that will be where they find their comfort in organizing. But then that you know, other people might step back. And not speak up where they actually would really like to have to to be able to express their thoughts and their wishes as well. Um, So, yeah, all of that kicks in, I guess. And leveraging off that too, Emma, is that if somebody actually puts in writing or has a conversation that I really want, you know, Kylie Minogue playing at my, you know, at my funeral, um, the family members are less likely to disagree with it because mm. it's been the wish that has been communicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's unknown, that's when there's more likely to be, I guess, question marks or yeah. disagreements or yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, question for you personally is, Obviously, you love what you do and, and you know that you are making a difference and, and, you know, your love of caring for people during this time is what um, inspires you. There must just be days that you just are overwhelmed or exhausted or emotionally drained because, you know, you're dealing with a, a, a difficult uh, time in people's lives and then you are also, you know, if you're meeting with families who, who may be, finding it hard to communicate, you're dealing with, you know, taking on their energies and and managing their expectations as well. Um, How do you manage that from a personal point of view and as a a mum as well? Yeah. Um, Look, it's a good question. I feel that when I'm meeting with a family, um, when I'm speaking to a family, I need to give them my everything because they need that support right now. So, yes, there are days where I'm I'm tired or I'm exhausted and I just need a bit of um, quiet time and I think that's quite, quite normal. Um, there's been times where um, a couple of months ago I had unfortunately um, uh, a couple of um, stillborn babies that I was looking after and that was probably the hardest um, situation that I had been in probably in my life. So um, looking after those those mums and those, those parents and being there with them and you kind of come home and, you know, you're grateful for, for what you have and you're also 
um, quite honoured to be able to to be there. And they've, you know, they felt a connection with with you, with me for that time, and they felt comfortable. Um, and I just have to. I just have to be there and I just have to do what I have to do to, you know, get them through this hard time. And this is only the beginning for them. So whatever I can do to help and support them, I I will do. And then when I get home, I guess it's just that quiet time for me to be able to to be with with myself and my family and and just know that I'm I'm helping. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a um like, is there a support system for people that do the work that you do? Like, are there, <laughs> this is probably a really random question, but are there support groups for funeral directors? Um, look, not that I know of. Yeah. Um, I feel that as a funeral director, you generally gravitate towards other people in the industry to, I guess, um, what's the word to talk about things that are going on and and it makes you feel I guess a little bit more at ease that they have also been in maybe similar situations and you're able to you know talk that through together um having support systems at home like you know family members to to talk to about your day and that type of thing is obviously also important to be able to um for you as a person to be able to be okay and and keep going day in and day out because at the end of the day we are dealing with high emotions um every single day um and being able to to handle yourself in a in a professional way and also a yeah. way is so important yeah yeah um we will wrap it up but before we do i just wanted to ask like for your i guess your top tip or your best piece of advice for you know, for anyone listening, and and this, you know, it might be for the people that aren't even thinking about needing to think about funerals or aren't in that situation right now, um, or it may be someone that is uh, imminently facing the loss of a loved one. So I guess, you know, any any advice that you can give, whether it's one or two or three pieces of advice? Um, one piece of advice I would give is... Take your time and and do your research about who you decide to facilitate the funeral for you. Um, There's so many wonderful providers out there um, that all have different specialties and expertise, um, and you have to feel comfortable with who you choose. Um, So that's why I guess having the conversation ahead of time can allow you to make those inquiries or make those phone calls and and see who you feel best connected with. I'm by no means going to stand here and, you know, advertise myself but the way that I do talk to families is you need to feel comfortable with who you're who you're talking to so um, if that means making a couple of phone calls um, before you make a decision uh, that's always a really good thing to do Um, another tip would be some people don't feel comfortable with actually organizing a prepaid funeral they have concerns or worries about what that means or you know what happens if I don't die for 10-15 years respect that 100%. And another option is pre-arranging. So what that means is putting your wishes down in writing. So you don't have to 
you know, put it all in writing and then pay for it and have it all locked and sealed in a contract. That is one option. But if you don't feel comfortable with that option, pre-arranging means still having those discussions, um, whether it be with your family, your loved ones, a funeral director, whoever it may be, and just documenting. Um, just like you document information in your will, um, it's information about your wishes for your end of life. So I guess it's all about starting the conversation yeah. um, when you feel comfortable being able to do that and just being honest with those that you love, what your wishes are, however you- interesting they may be. <laughs> <laughs> if it's documented, uh, like how, how legal does that document have to be? Does it have to be registered with a funeral director or with a solicitor or a, a, when you do your will? Like legally, what are the implications? Look, there's, to be honest with you, most people don't look at the will until after the funeral. So I what I recommend to people who are wishing to note down their wishes is I say, have it with your will, but you need to tell your next of kin that it is there. So okay. it's not a surprise and, you know, the funeral takes place and cremation takes place and then they go find the will and then they realise that they really wanted to be buried because they had a a plot in a local cemetery. So it's it's important to document it, but it's also important to advise your next of kin or maybe even to, you know, immediate family members yeah. of where this document is located um, and show it to them. It shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't yeah. be something that they find and it's completely, you know, foreign to them. Um, it should be, oh, that's right, that's where, you know, mum or dad or nan, you know, put it and they did mention it to us. So we better get that out and and have another look over what they wanted to do. Yeah, that's that's great advice. <laughs> that would be awful to find out afterwards. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it sure would be. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to share that we haven't touched on? Um, no, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me along today. And it's been so wonderful to be able to connect with you, Emma. I do feel that we've got many similarities, both in, in work and in life. Um, and it's nice to be able to chat to someone openly about these important, this important information. Yeah. Beautiful. And I will be sharing on the, the show notes, but where can we find you if we want more information, social media, website? Yeah, sure. So we have our website is personalfarewells.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram and you can find me personally on LinkedIn as well. Beautiful. Is it, here's a random question, probably more business related, but when you're working in the, the industry that you're in, how do you find, you know, like using social media? Yeah, look, I feel that we just have to be so mindful of how we're communicating our message on social media. Um, There's lots of wonderful companies that we try to, I guess, um, connect with, such as End of Life Doulas, which is something we could chat about on another another podcast. Yeah, definitely. um, you know, keepsake memorial items, urns, you know, all the different options that are available. Sometimes people don't even know, you know, that you can have a little bit of ash um, re- cremated remains in, in some jewellery items yeah. so, or glass or, you know, posted overseas to your loved ones or scattering tubes. There's just all of these possibilities these days that that's what we try to make a focus on social media yeah. is information-based. Yeah. So yeah. people can be informed. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, we will be sharing this and we'll be obviously sharing links to your uh, how do people contact you. Um, and thank you for the work you do and for the, the amazing way that you carry yourself and connect with people because I think it makes a, a huge difference. And it, I can imagine it would it's an industry that can become very cooker, cookie cutter. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's really beautiful to obviously connect with someone that's doing things a little differently. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Brilliant. Thank you. My name's Emma. I'm from The Daisy Chain. And thank you so much for listening to The Daisy Chain podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, www.thedaisychain.com. You can also visit our Facebook or Instagram page.